You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. Our favorite registered dietitian is here with us again, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have not listened to any of Lauren's previous episodes, definitely go back and do that. She's shared some amazing insight so far. But while you're here, um, Lauren, why don't you just give us kind of the cliff notes on who you are and what you do, and then we'll get started with today's topic. Hey guys, uh, thanks again for having me. So again, my name is Lauren Moss. I am a registered dietitian. I currently work full-time in the clinical setting. I am 32 years old. I'm a single mom. My son is three years old. His name is Gavin. And yeah, I've been with EA Coaching almost like six to seven months now. So it's been a fun ride so far. So cool. I'm so glad that we have you on the team. You're just such an awesome asset. So I didn't introduce it, but you guys probably saw the title when you clicked on the podcast. But today we're talking about body recomposition. And Lauren and I were talking before we hit record about what kind of a, almost like a mysterious thing this might seem to be and how it's frustrating because sometimes as you know, as a person losing weight, you may have people tell you, "Oh, you know, it's okay. The scale's not moving because you're losing inches, so that means you're losing fat." Or just kind of things where it almost feel like somebody feels like somebody is trying to like throw your bone of like, "Okay, yeah, you're not losing weight, but here's like this consolation prize." So what we really want to talk about today is why is what body recomposition is and why it's actually not a consolation prize at all, but it is the prize. It's really kind of what what all of us are striving for. So with that, Lauren, let's start with just kind of defining what, when we say body recomposition, what is it that we mean? So before going into detail about body recomposition, we should really understand the basics of just body composition. And simply put, that's the ratio between your lean body mass which, you know, contains your muscle, your bones, your organs, and then also your fat mass, which is the quantity of fat that's actually stored within your body. So body recomposition is all about changing that ratio of lean mass to fat mass. And there's four ways to change our body recomposition. We can lose fat, we can gain fat, We can lose muscle and we can gain muscle. And now there are instances where losing muscle or gaining fat might actually be the focus. What if you're recovering from an eating disorder or an injury, or if you're going through pregnancy, but today we're mainly going to discuss the approach to weight loss that emphasizes the importance of not only losing fat, but also gaining muscle. And that's when, again, your body fat percentage is decreasing your muscle mass percentage is increasing. That was such a good explanation. And you're absolutely right. Before we, before we talk about recomposition, we really need to, okay, (laughs) what are, what are we talking about in the first place? Um, So, okay. That's a really great explanation. We've got our lean mass, we have our fat mass. And for the purposes of this podcast, like you said, we're focusing on increasing lean mass, decreasing fat mass. So where I feel like it starts to get a little confusing for people is sometimes the rate of fat loss and the rate of muscle gain 
are pretty similar. And this is not something that everyone experiences. It's really kind of um, more possible for a certain couple of populations. But the end result is that you may not see much change on the scale because those things are, you know, what you're losing in fat, you're then sort of regaining in muscle. So can you kind of speak to what, um, I guess, maybe who is most likely to experience recomposition and what that actually kind of looks like in in your day-to-day life? So yeah, um, like like you said, this highly depends on the individual and their current level of fitness, but also what we stress here at EA Coaching, consistency. <laughs> so people who are new to proper dieting and strength training, they can easily achieve noticeable body recomposition within about eight to 12 weeks. And this could be individuals who are like brand, brand new. They've never worked out. They've never counted macros. They've never focused on protein. Or this could be anyone coming back after a long hiatus. You know, if you were pregnant, if you had a really bad injury, or, you know, you just took a break in general because of life. So those, that type of population can actually see it quickly because it's new to them. But after a year or so of this lifestyle, Unfortunately, muscle gain becomes a little bit more difficult and your results might slow down. And this is because your body, your muscle cells, they've acclimated to this lifestyle. And this is why we stress patience. A healthy fat loss goal is one to two pounds a week. For some, it's one to two pounds a month. And that can occur at any point in time, whether you're brand new to this or you're a seasoned you know, worker outer and, you know, you've been doing this for a while and that can occur because as long as you're in a calorie deficit, you will see the weight go down. Um, But muscle growth in general research shows that's a little bit slower. And for women, you can gain about 0.25 pounds of muscle per week in your first year of weightlifting. And afterwards, that number is actually cut in half with each subsequent year. So it, again, it just boils down to where you are currently within your journey. I so appreciate how well-prepared you are for these episodes. You're just such a wealth of knowledge. And this really brings up a couple of excellent points. One that I'm sure a lot of you guys listening have experienced is for lack of a better kind of explanation, like newbie gains, where in the beginning, it feels like everything is kind of happening for you pretty easily. And, you know, that's not to say that, you know, sticking to your calorie target day to day and doing your strength training is always easy, but you may have had the experience where when you first got started, however long ago that was, you felt like things kind of clicked into place pretty easily and you were seeing consistent progress. And then as time went on, due to a combination of your consistency potentially kind of fluctuating, but also because you have gotten out of that sort of new phase, you're you're beyond a year, it becomes more difficult. And it's really hard to wrap your head around. You sort of feel like, well, I'm not doing anything differently. What's what's good? Like, what am I doing wrong? That before I was making this level of effort and these are the results that I got. And now I feel like I'm doing the same thing and the results are less. So I feel like this is such an important point to stress and to normalize that this is just physiology, that in the beginning, you may well see faster results than you do further along. And it's not that you're doing anything wrong. 
as always, we stress in probably every episode we talk about, we stress taking ownership. So that's not to say like, well, it's just, it is what it is. It's inevitable. You do want to make sure and take a look like, am I still nailing the big rocks? Am I doing the work on my end? But also accepting that this is just what it looks like. It's going to, to slow down. And then another really important point when you were talking about how quickly women can put on muscle. I've seen so many questions and so many comments about, you know, the scale is up X number of pounds in this long and everyone's saying, oh, it's just muscle. Don't worry. And it's like, yes. uh, some of it might be, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's one, it's something that, you know, a lot of people just don't really know the math on. And it's, it kind of, I don't know if a scapegoat is the right word because I feel like it's like a positive scapegoat. But it's a it's a way to kind of avoid potentially taking responsibility for the fact that it might not be muscle. It might just be eating more <laughs> and haven't realized it. Um, so to be realistic, you said um, a, quarter, a quarter pound of muscle per week in the first year. So about a pound per month. So that's in the grand scheme of things pretty yeah. insignificant. Um, yeah. So if you're seeing the scale go up, you know, several pounds. You can't explain all of that away with muscle gain. Um, and then also just the, the major kind of frustration of wanting to put on muscle. And if that number basically has a, a half-life of each year, it goes down by half. You're looking at um, you know half a pound per month in year two and a quarter pound per month in year three. So you're making a lot of effort for what you know creeps on little by little, you know, feels like not a whole lot of payoff. So I think for for those of you who are listening, maybe you're in maintenance or have muscle building goals, really keep in mind that we're talking long haul here, that you're putting in the work for months and years, not days and weeks. Okay. So I think this brings us to the question of if, say, you know, we're, we're talking about him in the beginning, you could be losing and gaining similar amounts of muscle and fat at the same time. So the net change on the scale might be zero. How do I know if I am building muscle and losing fat and that's why the scale is not moving or if I'm just not making progress? So I encounter this quite a bit with clients. Um, You know, they have that freak out moment and say, oh my gosh, I've hit a plateau. The scale isn't moving. And this is why we stress that the scale is only one form of measurement. It doesn't look at the full picture. It's just as important to take measurements, but also pictures to measure your progress. And, you know, you're the exact same weight, but your clothes start fitting better. You're losing inches. You physically look different. Now, if you're wanting to get super technical, then there are a few ways to actually measure your body changes in, uh, you know, body recomp. But they vary in accuracy, accessibility, and cost. Um, I can go over those really quickly, too. So the first one is skin calipers. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but it actually it, it measures your skin fold thickness. So they'll measure areas where stored fat is commonly found. And when this is done with a good technique and by someone who's experienced, skin calipers can be very accurate. But again, if you have like your significant other or yourself doing it, it can cause human error and this might cause inconsistencies. So the most commonly used calculation for this is something called the Jackson Pollock method. So for women, 
they are measured on the tricep, the thigh, and the superiliac, which is right above your hip bone. And then for men, they're measured the pectoral, abdomen, and thigh. And it varies because women and men carry fat in different locations of their body. Now, the next one I see used quite often, and they're actually becoming popular, it's something called bioelectrical impedance. This can be a handheld device or actually a scale. Now, this analysis sends electrical currents through your body. It's harmless. You don't feel them. But it measures the speed at which the current travels. Now, the accuracy depends a lot on different things. So hydration, the time of day, your exercise consistency. So it's not the most accurate, but it's good for monitoring changes in, in your body fat. For example, if you hop on your scale the first time you get it and it says 27% body fat, and then two months later, it says 24%, you know that you lost around 3% body fat. However, that specific number it's giving you might not be 100% accurate. For example, you could have been 30% body fat and dropped down to 27. So those are two really good methods that you could, you know, get your hands on a little bit easier. Now, there are three more accurate ways. And again, these are a little bit harder to come by just because, you know, they're bigger pieces of equipment, a little bit more expensive. Um, the first one is underwater weighing. And when you're underwater, your lean tissue sinks, your fat floats. So it kind of, it's a good estimate of how much fat that you have. Again, this is super accurate, but it requires very special equipment, maybe in like a university or something like that. Now, the next two, I've actually had the privilege of doing. The first one is called a bod pod. And this kind of machine measures how much air that your body displaces. It's more convenient than underwater weighing, but it also takes less time. And I was actually able to have this done while stationed overseas on a military base. It was free for service members, but also their families. And you basically strip down to like a sports bra and your spandex shorts, and you sit in something that looks like a really large bean. So if you're claustrophobic, it might not be the best route, but it gives really accurate results. And it was actually really cool to have this done. Last but not least, something called a dual x-ray absorbent. I can't even say the last word. It's called a DEXA scan. So this uses x-rays to find your muscle, your fat, and also your bone density. It's quick, but it also, like I said, includes the bone measurement. And I was able to have this done while in grad school, the university I went to. So a classmate of mine actually needed volunteers for her research study. And I jumped in the minute I heard a DEXA scan was going to be used. <laughs> um, and you guys, you know, in, in the general public might have heard of a DEXA scan. They sometimes use these as we age to measure our bone density. So if, if you're trying to get super technical, those are the, the ways to measure it. Okay. There's a lot there. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. So let's let's kind of go back to the scale, the measurements, the photos, the stuff that you can do at home yes. relatively easily. So I'm mentioning this again. I know I already said it, but I'm mentioning it again because it's so important. And I feel like most people just don't believe it and you need to hear it over and over and over again. Yeah. The scale is not the best indicator of fat loss. 
It just isn't. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what like the history of scales and weighing ourselves is because somehow we've ended up where so many women, generations of women feel like the scale is the thing that determines their success. Their worth. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Not just success, their, their worth overall. And not only does it not tell us anything in the realm of your worth as a person or anything like that, it also doesn't really tell us the thing that you're most interested in knowing. When we say we want to lose weight, what we mean is we want to lose fat. And the scale cannot differentiate between weight you have gained or lost due to gaining or losing fat, gaining or building muscle, excess, you know, food that's just in your in your body, water retention, it cannot make those distinctions. And it's just so I'm going to continue repeating this until I'm blue in the face because it we just need to change this narrative where anything besides the scale is like this, you know, participation ribbon. Well, the scale didn't move much, but I lost an inch in my waist. So I guess like what? Yeah. <laughs> that is something you should be so thrilled about. And while I don't think we need to, you know, get rid of scales. I don't think they're they're awful and, and evil or any of those things. It is really important that we keep them in perspective. And this is why, you know, in all of our coaching programs, we use a variety of progress indicators, not just these numerical ones, but also, you know, what else? How is your life? What else are you proud of? Are you sleeping better? Is your mood better? Are your workouts better? Where else are you seeing these these improvements? So the scale should not be this like number one metric and then everything else is like numbers you know 99 and lower they if anything you want the scale your measurements your photos all clustered right there at the top because each of them is telling you a piece of the story um so just reiterating that if you are listening to this and you are not currently taking progress photos and measurements start immediately there is really no reason to not be taking them. We have clients do them in our one-on-one program every week. In our group program, we do every two weeks. That it's it's really neither here nor there if you do every one or two. You just want to get in the habit of doing it consistently and getting enough practice at taking the photos and taking the measurements that you're being accurate from time to time. Like Lauren was talking about with the at-home scales that, that um, you know, estimate body fat, there are a lot of ways that you can make those numbers less accurate. And a lot of those are user error. So you, even though you might not be seeing drastic changes in your photos, or your measurements from week to week, just doing it consistently is going to make you better at getting data that's useful. So it's really important to start doing those right now. Um, and then as far as like the at-home scales go, I kind of go back and forth on these. I feel like on one hand, if you're going to have a scale that you step on, there's no harm in it having this additional data. Um, on the other hand, I think a lot of times we bury ourselves under data that we don't really understand, don't necessarily uh-huh. care about until it's in our faces, and we're not using it in a way that makes that information very useful. So like you were saying, Lauren, things like your training status, your where you are in your cycle, your hydration level, um, you know what you what you had for your last meal... Um, whether you've gone to the bathroom, all of those can affect the output on an at-home scale. So Mm -hmm. you really want to be careful with making sure that the conditions are as similar as possible. And 
just like with a normal scale, that you're learning about your body's fluctuations where, okay, your body fat isn't going to change drastically from one day to the next or from a week to the next. So if you're seeing these big fluctuations, that shouldn't send you into a tailspin like, oh my gosh, I gained 3% body fat. It should be a kind of a red flag like, okay, well, I know that's not what happened. So how do I get more data? How do I get, um, you know, how do I do this consistently over the course of several weeks, several months, and see how things are trending? Like you were saying, it's not necessarily that the number itself is spot on, but that if you're seeing a consistent trend over time, you can you can pretty safely bet that mm-hmm. that trend is is happening. If you're enjoying this episode, I want to invite you to join us in Foundations. Foundations is our six-week group coaching program designed to help you remove every obstacle standing in between you and the weight loss you're after. Learn how to overcome the overwhelm of getting started, stop buying into BS that only yields short-term results, and learn how to master the big rocks you need to lose the weight and keep it off without sacrificing your quality of life in the process. Whether you want to lose 15 pounds or 150 pounds, we can help you in foundations. For all the info and to join, go to estereevent.com slash foundations. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention about kind of the the more um, expensive or harder to do ones that, that are more accurate is some of you will likely be interested in that. And like Lauren said, local universities are usually a good place to, to start. Um, but really kind of asking yourself, what data am I interested in and what am I going to do with it? Because with any of these, the single snapshot in time, the first time you get the test done, that's just establishing your baseline where you are right now. So if you're not planning to test repeatedly at relatively regular intervals, it might not make sense to even do in the first place. Exactly. Yes. And then similarly, if you don't really have a specific goal in mind or a reason for wanting this piece of information, does it really have any value to you? I know I've gotten um, body fat tests done a couple of times and ended up just like kind of feeling badly about it because I was like, oh, if I had guessed, I would have thought my number was lower. And then I was like, yeah, like, why, why does this, why does this bother me before I felt good when I didn't have this yes. number in my head? Um, so really kind of asking yourself, do, does my body fat number matter to me, my body fat percentage? Um, and if it doesn't really, if your goal, like most of us, is to look and feel good, move without pain, have energy, like the way your clothes fit, then that's not really riding on a specific number. So maybe you don't really need that data to kind of go down the rabbit hole. Exactly. Okay. Well, that was a lot of talking on my end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we talked about, you know, kind of how who this really applies to most when, when you're new to exercise, if you're coming back from a long hiatus, how it sort of tapers over the course of that first year, and then mm-hmm. your results do start to slow and that's normal. Typically what happens is that the, the rate of fat loss starts to um, exceed the rate of muscle gain because you're, you're building muscle at a much slower rate as time goes on. Um, so if we have, if someone listening wants to, I think like the most common goal is I want to lose fat, build muscle. Um, And ultimately we're talking about how it is possible to do both those things at once. But at the end of the day, those are two competing goals. Can you, can you speak a little bit to what needs to happen in order to lose fat as compared to what needs to happen in order to build muscle? Yes. Great question. Because when we break it down, 
when we're losing fat, the main determinant for that is being in a caloric deficit. You're eating less than you're expending out. And that equals fat loss or just weight loss in general. However, when we're wanting to build lean muscle mass, you think, well, don't I have to be in a caloric surplus? You're having to eat more. So if I want to lose fat and eat less, but I want to gain muscle and I have to eat more, how can I do that at the same time? And this is kind of where research goes back and forth, but I know from personal experience that it is possible. So there are a few things that you want to prioritize. So we, of course, want to maintain a mild caloric deficit, and that could be anywhere from like 10 to 15%. Um, And then what we want to prioritize most is adequate protein, 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 protein. This is what helps not only build, but maintain our lean muscle mass. So if we're losing weight, like, like we've talked about this entire episode, if we're losing weight, we want to make sure that it's fat and not muscle. So we want to not only remain in this caloric deficit, but we want to prioritize protein. But not only that, when we want to build muscle mass, we want to prioritize strength training. So prioritizing strength training and adequate protein are the two things that are going to help us build muscle mass while in a caloric deficit. But also we don't want to forget about rest and recovery. So I would say those four things. That's so good. And I think it's just so helpful to hear in so many words, this is why this thing is important. Because I think a lot of times, you know, if you are a listener of this podcast or other podcasts like it, obviously this one, but (laughs) other podcasts (laughs) like it, or you consume exercise and and nutrition related content, you hear protein, protein, protein all the time. You hear strength, 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 strength all the time. But if you're not making the connection between this is why this specific thing is helping me reach this goal, that, that disconnect can make it a lot harder for you to actually put in the work to prioritize that thing consistently. I'm thinking about protein specifically, where when we give most of our clients their protein targets, they're a good deal higher than you know what most women are, are used to eating on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes I feel like there's almost like a little bit of resentment. Like the reason I have to eat this much protein is because my coach told me to. And now it's almost like the sort of rebellious teenager of, well, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I think it's so important to be focusing on what value does this thing have to me and for my goals. So I'm not eating, I'm not prioritizing this protein. I'm not sitting down and mapping out my meals. So I hit my protein goal because my coach told me to, and I don't want her to yell at me. I'm doing it because my goal is to build fat and lose muscle and protein is going to help me do that. Therefore, the protein is important to me. And if it's important to me, then I will figure out how to do it. Not because I'm being told to, because I want to. And I think that's such an important distinction. Same thing with the strength training. When you just hear coaches and trainers kind of saying at the top of their lungs, you need to be strength training. And you're here thinking, but my favorite thing to do is ride my Peloton, or I really like to do Zumba. And now you're telling me, you know, I can't do that or I have to do less of it. No, we're telling you what the the thing that's going to help you reach the goal that's important to you 
is different than maybe the thing that you enjoy the most. So do you want to continue doing your favorite thing, even if that means you may make less progress towards that goal? That's fine. That's up to you. Or is the goal important enough to you that you're willing to change how you go about things because you want to put yourself in the best position for success? Exactly. Well, well said. And I think that just boils down to, again, you know, back in the day, everyone stressed scale is this, scale is the priority. Same thing with cardio versus strength training. I mean, I remember getting into nutrition in college and I was a little cardio bunny. Like all Mm -hmm. I wanted to do was run and do the treadmill or hop on the elliptical because our minds, they're not educated enough to know strength training is where it's at. You know, all we hear is cardio will help you burn calories. If you burn calories, you lose weight. But again, what kind of weight? Yes. Oh my gosh. That that takes me right back. I remember when I first started working out was right right after I got my license, I would drive to the YMCA. And at first I would do like the the Nautilus circuit, the the strength machines. But I think I probably only did it so I could spend more time in the gym and like look at the high school boys. Um, But I definitely remember feeling like the workout didn't really count if I hadn't done 30 minutes on the elliptical or the Stairmaster afterwards. Like that was definitely the focus. And it's interesting. Someone in one of the Peloton groups I'm in posted recently asking like, what was like the aha moment for you? When did things really click for you when it comes to nutrition and things like that? And I was realizing that, you know, there, there just wasn't one for me. It's been a very gradual progression over the last 20 years where I can't look back and pinpoint, oh, this is when I realized the value of strength training. This is when that happened. Um, but I do now in hindsight, the thing that kind of made the difference for me is I started doing more free weights, more kind of traditional strength training. And I just showed up enough that I started to see my progress. Right. And I was like, oh, you know what? I've been doing the elliptical for years (laughs) and that hasn't done anything. And here I am seeing some changes doing the strength. Maybe I'm going to make that more of my focus. So um, I think you're absolutely right. That's a big part of it is we just kind of focus on the like most simplistic version, which like you said, cardio, you know, burns more calories. We need to burn calories to lose weight therefore. And it's like, okay, yes, but you've zoomed in so far that you're kind of missing the bigger picture, which is like, that's not exactly what you mean. And it's a little bit short-sighted to be focusing on just that when the benefits of, of building muscle are, are so vast. Um, okay. So let's talk to, to those of us listening, those of you who are listening, who are maybe at or around maintenance, you don't necessarily want to lose a lot of weight. You feel like, you know, I'd like to lose a little bit of fat, kind of, you know, tone up a little bit, build a little bit of muscle. You're, you're relatively close to where you want to be. This is the ultimate goal. When, however much weight you have to lose, the, the goal is to end up at a weight that you feel good at. You can sustain and then to kind of live out the rest of your days hovering around that point. But that doesn't mean your progress stops. And I think a lot of times we think in kind of these black and white terms where either I'm focusing on losing weight or I'm putting it back on. Um, And we sort of miss the fact that most of life is happening just kind of right, right in the middle, right at maintenance. So I know, you know, I've been maintaining for the last several years and I still see changes to my body composition. And a lot of that stems from 
and I'm, I, I haven't tracked my food in a long time, but I have a very good idea of, you know, kind of my, my nutritional needs. So I'm for the most part eating right around maintenance. What that means is some days are a deficit, some days are a surplus, and it all kind of works out in the end to keep me about where I want to be. But those small changes are still happening month over month, year over year. It may just take longer to see them. So I know I kind of just inserted myself in that. Um, But do you have anything to add about kind of maintenance or what it looks like to continue seeing recomposition once sort of the bulk of your weight loss is accomplished? Well, so I'm actually kind of thinking about a particular client of mine. She reached her maintenance or excuse me, she reached her goal weight around January or February. And she was really anxious and nervous to then increase her calories and kind of go into this maintenance phase. And I get it. It it can be very scary and unknown because, you know, for so long or, you know, we might've finally found our groove and you're finally understanding protein and the importance of hitting your targets. And you finally feel comfortable and like you understand everything. And then boom, you get to your goal weight. And now it's like, you have to relearn everything. Wait, I get more calories and it can almost be harder for some people to actually be in maintenance phase. So It's just a slow progression of increasing your calories. You don't want to go a huge jump all at once. So you're slowly increasing your calories to a maintenance goal, but you're still prioritizing protein. That should never flip-flop. That should never go away. So you're still prioritizing protein. Now, you mentioned this. Your weight hovers. A lot of people think, okay, my goal weight is 130. Once you hit 130, that doesn't mean you're going to be 130 every single day for the rest of your life. (laughs) People typically hover between one to five pounds naturally day to day. For me, that's about 158 to 163. So if I wake up one morning and I'm 158, I try not to let that get to my head. Like, yes, I'm feeling great. I hit it yesterday. I feel thin. I feel lean. And then the next day I wake up and I'm 163. Don't let that freak you out. But that's another reason to kind of use the scale and kind of take several measurements throughout the week so that you can better understand your body and better understand how it fluctuates while you're in maintenance. But again, it boils down to the same, you know, priorities. You're going to still prioritize hitting your calorie goal, whether, you know, you're still in a caloric deficit or now you're in maintenance you're still going to prioritize hitting your high protein goal and you're still going to prioritize strength training. So those three things never change. It's just your weight's going to stay the same. But again, slowly over time, you might see, oh, I have a little bit more definition in my arms. Oh, now I have a six pack instead of a four pack. So over time, you're still going to see changes. And, you know, it's it's still kind of like a slow realization for this client that I'm thinking about. She still has a hard time, you know, kind of perfecting this, I guess, for herself. But it is a journey. It's not going to, you know, overnight, you know, just all click and make sense. I think maintenance is just so 
under thought about that's yeah. so so many programs and so many people are just so focused on well, just let me get there as fast as possible and then I'll deal with it and I'll figure it out and mm-hmm. when you think about how long most women have been dieting you have spent years in this mentality of success equals the scale going down so then when the goal you know seemingly suddenly shifts to the goal is for the scale to not move a whole lot it's a major mental shift uh-huh and I think, you know, what, what you really just stressed is why we're so adamant about the big rocks. The reason we have you focusing on your protein, your fiber, your strength training, your daily steps, your rest and recovery, while we're coaching you to lose the weight is because those, like Lauren just said, are going to continue to be your focus when you get to maintenance. So if you have all of that time practicing doing those things, making it easier to get your protein in learning how to strength train properly, then your transition, though still might be clunky, is going to be a lot less so than if you haven't had any of those things on your radar and now you're trying to figure it out. Yep, exactly. Okay. So let's uh, start bringing this this full circle. Um, Before we wrap up, I know we were talking a little bit yesterday about just kind of general myths and misconceptions that we hear a lot about recomposition and, you know, kind of what it, what it takes to lose fat and things like that. So let's kind of quickly go over a few of those. The first one you mentioned is, uh, is the first one that was on my list also, uh, muscle weighs more than fat. Let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's put that one to rest. What's actually going on here. Yeah. So you actually mentioned that earlier in, in podcasts, but I think people just say this without thinking it through, like maybe they've heard it on in like a Facebook group, they've heard it from maybe someone they trust, like a personal trainer, but they're not just thinking it through. So when we think about it, a pound is a pound, you know, a pound of rocks weighs the same as a pound of feathers. So we have to break it down a little bit more. Muscle does have a greater density than fat, meaning it takes up less space. It takes up less volume than an equal amount of fat. Therefore, If we have two people standing next to each other and they both weigh 150 pounds, if the person on the left has a higher fat percentage, they are going to look larger versus the other person who has a higher muscle mass. They're going to appear smaller, even though they weigh the exact same. There you have it, folks. It's density, not weight. Yes. Um, Another one that I hear or see questions about really often is, should I be doing my cardio fasted? Is that going to help me burn more fat? What do you think? So this myth grows out of the fact that when in a fasted state, the body relies primarily on stored fat for energy. So if you're performing low intensity, steady state cardio, you know, walking, jogging on the treadmill, maybe your Peloton bike, your body would be burning that fat to power your muscles during the exercise and not the food that you've just eaten. Now, this idea holds a lot of weight if you believe that exercise is the primary driver in fat loss, but it's not. As we've stressed, your diet is energy balance, calories in versus calories out, ultimately determines fat loss, not whether or not you've had food in your system either last night or within the last 30 minutes. I think this is just one of those things that 
so many people want to major in the minors and we think ourselves to death about, should I be fasted or fed? Should I, you know, am I going to burn? And you're just so hyper-focused on this really tiny, like a sprinkle on top of the Sunday instead of the whole, you know, scoop of ice cream underneath. Um, And thinking about, okay, in, you know, in this very moment, might I be burning more, you know, fat as a fuel source? Sure. But what happens the rest of the day? Does it matter in the grand scheme of things? And the answer is no. For a lot of these things that we stress so much about, you know, how many carbs should I be eating? Or, you know, what, what are the best classes to, to burn fat and things like that? They're just, you know, missing the forest for the trees. The, uh-huh. like, like Lauren said, the energy balance is the thing that's going to drive it first and foremost, you get your strength training in. And a lot of this other stuff, not only do you not need to worry about it until all the bigger rocks are in place, but you really don't even need to worry about it then because the results that you're looking for are going to come from the big rocks, not from this tiny stuff on top. And then once those are dialed in, if you are so inclined, if you're the type of person who likes to continue to experiment on yourself and you want to see what differences do I notice if I do this instead of that, go for it. But we try to sometimes build things from like the top down and it just doesn't work that way. You got to cement the foundation first and then you can build on it if you want, or you might just decide, cool, that foundation is really all I needed. Okay. One final thing that I know came up in a Facebook group we're both in recently, which is BMI. And it always, it's like a very push button topic for a lot of people where you know, most people will post pictures themselves and say, you know, I'd be categorized as this, therefore it's useless. It's outdated. It's a, you know, it doesn't. So let's just kind of clarify what is BMI? What was it intended to be used for? And where does it kind of fall short when you look at individual people? So great question. Um, because as a dietitian, I see both sides, you know, there's a benefit to BMI and then there's also not a benefit to BMI in, in some cases. So BMI is a calculation that takes into consideration your height and your weight. That's it. That's all. So you're then categorized into a category, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> into a category of underweight, normal weight, overweight, or obese. And a lot of people stress about it, but it's not something that we should prioritize. BMI was developed way, 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 way back in the day. And just think about how far we've come in research. We've come in the nutrition industry, the fitness industry. There's a lot of other data that is more important to the average adult person. So if you're classified as overweight or obese, yes, you have a greater risk of developing comorbidities like diabetes, heart disease, certain cancers. But, you know, BMI is used a lot in healthcare for insurance purposes. Now, I remember working in private practice. If we coded someone as overweight or obese due to their BMI, we were then reimbursed more money. But in terms of determining your health, it's not the end-all be-all. It does not take into consideration muscle mass. And I always like to use myself as an example. I'm 5'3". My weight fluctuates between 159 to like 164. So that puts my BMI at 29. And that is at the upper end of the overweight category. But if you look at me, I don't look overweight at all. Yes, I'm curvy. Uh, but I have muscular legs. Some days I might have like a little two pack or a four pack. You know, my blood, pla- excuse me, my blood panel is all within normal lipid, 
within normal limits, my lipids, my A1C for diabetes, everything looks great. I sleep good. I manage my stress. I am healthy, regardless that my BMI classifies me as overweight. So again, body fat percentage is a better indicator of health. So good. So you guys like a lot of things, the, you know, there's, there's kind of two sides to everything. There are when you're, when you're looking at broad populations and trying to make generalizations based on certain things, BMI has a use when you're looking at individual people very much like the scale. It's just one of very many determinants of your overall kind of big picture health. So I think a lot of, you know, this, this may depend a lot on, you know, your, your medical providers. I feel like some doctors seem to put a lot of weight on the BMI categorization based on the comments I've seen. It seems like some people do end up feeling shamed or things like that for their BMI number when, like you said, Lauren, if you were to look at that person's big picture, their blood work is great. Their, you know, their body fat is low. They have a lot of muscle and it's really a non-issue. Um, so I think more so than saying BMI needs to be thrown out or anything like that, maybe you want to consider switching doctors if you're working with someone who makes you feel like that number is the only thing that matters and that your, you know, your value is is tied up in it. Um, so don't stress about it. Again, like we were talking about with body fat in general, think about what numbers, what data actually matters to you. For most of us, I've done I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of consults and worked with hundreds of women over time. And I can tell you literally maybe even less than a handful of women have ever said, I want my body fat in you know this yeah. range or this percent. Overwhelmingly, we talk about wanting to feel comfortable in our clothes and being able to shop our own closets or being able to go shopping and not end up in tears in the dressing room. We want to make it through the end of the day playing with our kids and not yelling at them because we're tired and achy and sore <laughs> and irritable. We want to, you know, have have the energy to get through our work day. We want to enjoy our lives. Like if those are the things that you're telling yourself you care about, then really think about how do I determine if I'm making progress in those ways? What mm -hmm. should I be tracking to see if my energy is improving? What should I be doing to see if my overall health is improving? And that's where you should be focusing your attention. For the most part, the scale doesn't tell us that. The you know BIA doesn't tell us that. BMI doesn't tell us that. It's a lot more sort of the the intangible things. So figure out how do I see if I'm making progress in those ways? Because you do want to be tracking and seeing if I'm not, what am I going to do differently? Um, but be careful about using like a proxy metric to to determine that when in reality it's not something that really matters to you. Okay. Anything else before we wrap up that we didn't go over that you wanted to um, add before we do? Not that I can think of. Cool. This is, we covered a ton of ground. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this. We, we really talked about a lot. Hopefully we answered more questions and, and didn't give you, didn't give you more questions. Um, but if we did, you know where to find us. You can join our free Facebook group, Live Diet Free, same name as this podcast. You can find us at sraymed.com or on Facebook or on Instagram. Um, Lauren, what is your, um, if you, if you like people following you for nutrition information, um, do you have any social media you'd like to share? Yeah. So my Instagram is just my name, straightforward, Lauren B. Moss. Love it. And you'll get to see 
super sweet Gavin pictures too. (laughs) Yes. He's probably the priority on my page. (laughs) Love it. Lauren, thank you so much for your time. And thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Live Diet Free Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to them all, I appreciate you being here. One way you can help this podcast succeed is to subscribe, rate, and review it. If you don't mind doing those things, I would love to thank you with a copy of our weekend survival guide designed to help you have weekends you enjoy that don't set you back from reaching your goals. Just send a screenshot of your review to admin at estheravant.com and we'll send it over. And don't forget to check out estheravant.com slash foundations for all the info about our six-week group coaching program, Foundations, designed to help you remove every obstacle standing in between you and the weight loss you've been after.